Hey folks, and welcome back to the Theopolis Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Motes, and I'm the content manager at Theopolis Institute. We at Theopolis train men and women to lead cultural renewal by renewing the church. Those who train with us learn to read the Bible imaginatively, worship God faithfully, and engage the culture intelligently. In this episode, we continue our Friday series with James Jordan in the Psalms of Ascent, and here Jordan's going to give his brief thoughts on Psalm 124. Do take a look at the show notes for all things social media with Theopolis, including our YouTube channel. We just wrapped up a 20-episode series on a theology of music with Peter Lightheart, and coming up we have a series with Alistair Roberts on the topic of baptism. Also take a look at those links to upcoming events. We have an intensive course in the month of May on a theology of history with Rich Bledsoe, Peter Lightheart, and James Jordan. We also have our upcoming summer conference and regional courses around the country. We want to thank you so much for listening, and we hope that you enjoy this time of teaching. And here is James Jordan discussing Psalm 124. Psalm 124. Psalm 124. It's titled, A Song of Ascents of David. Had it not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, Had it not been that the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, Then they would have swallowed us alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the waters would have engulfed us, the stream would have swept over our soul, then the raging waters would have swept over our soul. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us to be torn by their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird out of the snare of the trapper. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. This, of course, is one of the psalms that we sing frequently. The context we're not altogether sure of. We are told by the heading, which many take to be inspired, although some question these headings, even within conservative Bible-believing Christianity, that this is a psalm of David. When in doubt, I always go with the heading. There is a situation which seems to indicate that the psalm might have been composed then. It's in 2 Samuel 5. Why don't you turn back to 2 Samuel 5? starting in verse 17, and we'll see a likely occasion which could have provoked David to compose this psalm. 2 Samuel 5, verses 17 and following. When the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to seek out David. And when David heard of it, he went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines came and spread themselves out in the valley of the Rephaim. Then David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will thou give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. So David came to Baal-perazim and defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through mine enemies before me like the breakthrough of waters. Notice the reference to waters here. Therefore he named the place baal Perazim, which means the Lord of the Breakthrough. And they abandoned their idols there, so David and his men carried them away. Now the Philistines came up once again and spread themselves out in the valley of the Rephaim. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, You shall not go directly up. Circle around behind them and come at them in front of the balsam trees, or mulberry trees. And it will be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then you shall act promptly. For then the Lord will have gone out before you to strike the army of the Philistines. Then David did so, just as the Lord had commanded him, and struck down the Philistines from Geba until 
you come to Gezer. Okay, now there's a very interesting thing in the second one there in that God's army of angels marches right above the human army across the tops of the trees and goes out first and then the human army comes after him following his leadership. Not much comfort for pacifism in a passage like that which shows that men were to join in the wars of the Lord. But this seems to be a situation in which David was genuinely terrified of the Philistine strength. He had just been anointed king. The nation was in a very fragile position. Power is not yet really consolidated. And the Philistines come and David and his men hole up in this fortress, the stronghold. But then they go up and defeat them in the power of the Lord, defeat this flood of the enemy. So possibly that's the occasion at which this psalm was written. It was shortly after that, in the very next chapter, that the ark was brought up to Jerusalem, and David danced before the ark. So that could also be, you know, the background for this psalm of ascent of coming up into Jerusalem with the ark to worship the Lord. Right at the beginning, we have an exhortation to sing this song. It's a very excited song. Had it not been the Lord who was on our side, and then it's broken off. Let Israel say indeed, had it not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive. Then the waters would have overwhelmed us. Then the waters would have swept over our soul. And so it's entirely the fact that the Lord was on our side and not on their side that we won the victory. And in a sense, we tend to think because of our sin that it's hard for us to claim that the Lord is on our side. Why would the Lord be on our side? We should side with him. We should be on the Lord's side, doesn't the song say, who is on the Lord's side? We should be on his side. We can't ask him to be on our side. Maybe that smacks of nationalism or something like that. But in fact, the Lord has chosen us in spite of our sin, and he has said that he is for us. And it's only because he's on our side that we can be bold to be on his side. It's only because he's for us that we can be for him. His action always comes first. History, in election, in everything. And here it says it was the Lord who was on our side. In spite of appearances, the Lord was on our side. And men rose up against us. When they rose up against us, they might have swallowed us alive. There are four different images used here of the attack of the enemy. The first one is, they might have swallowed us up alive. You'll remember that the earth opened up and swallowed Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and all their wives and little ones, except for those Korah who separated themselves, swallowed them down into Sheol alive. The picture here is of a great monster, a great monster that hides in the earth and eats people up. Such monsters don't really exist, but the imagery is there. And the earth itself acts this way because we are made out of the earth. Dust thou art, and to dust thou shalt return. And when the earth opens up and swallows Korodathan and Abiram, that's exactly what's happening. They're going back down into the ground from which they came. And here, these men, the threat that they make to the Christians as they surround us on all sides today, they might swallow us alive. In a very vivid illustration of that would be, of course, the labor camps in the Soviet Union where people are swallowed alive and they spend 15 to 25 years in the belly of these labor camps before finally getting out and going back into society. They can definitely swallow us alive when their anger is kindled against us. How we're to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We're not to go out and deliberately try to get the wicked angry at us 
But when they do become angry, then they have tremendous power. And we shouldn't try to minimize that power. It's very definite that we as Christians in the United States today could be swallowed up alive. Then the second image that's used here is, then, verse 4, the waters would have engulfed us. If the Lord hadn't been on our side when men rose up against us, then the waters would have engulfed us. The stream would have passed over our soul, our life. The soul in the Bible, when you read the word soul in your Bible, don't think of something that hides inside of a body. The body is the tomb of the soul, said the Greeks, but that's not the way the Bible thinks of it. In Greek philosophy, you always have what we call a chain of being, from the high to the low. And inside the human body, you have that too. You have the high part, which is the spirit, and the medium part, which is the soul, and the low-down part, which is the body. But the Bible doesn't think that way. The Bible thinks covenantally. Man is a unit, but man has a covenantal relationship, upwards with God, sideways with other people, and downwards with the creation. But man is a unity, and when the word soul is used, it speaks of man's unity from the perspective of the life that the Spirit gives him. And here it says, the stream would have swept over our life. The raging waters would have swept over our lives, would have passed over our souls. Now that image was very common in the Bible, but it's not as common to us. But if we think biblically, we can make it common. Think back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, when we read that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The waters covered the entire earth. And then God's Spirit begins to push the waters back by a wind. And the dry land appears. But then when the flood comes, God brings the water right back. The water that he put over the firmament and the water that he swept back into the ocean. Have you ever been to the ocean and looked at how the water wants to eat the land up? All you have to do is look at it. There it is, trying to come up on the land and eat it up. All those waves. How the ocean would just love to sweep over the land, but God and his angels hold it back. They don't let the ocean come up over the land and get us. And here, this great army of people is like the ocean waves. And when people are stuck back into the ocean and immersed in the water, they're drowned and they're returned to the original condition of the earth before God made the world, before God built the world up. He created it, but then he put water over it. When Jonah goes down into the water, that's death. He's being returned to the original ocean. And with the Red Sea and at the flood, the enemies of God are put back in that original ocean and swept away. So whether you're eaten up by the earth or eaten up by the ocean, you're dying and you're going back and dissolving back to what you were before God made you. Of course, there's no annihilation. The person goes on and is in hell forever. But here's the threat. And many times in the Bible, an invading army that comes sweeping in is just like the ocean was pouring over the land and sweeping everything before it. One really good passage, and I'll only read one, although there are scores of them, is Isaiah chapter 8. Just listen. Isaiah 8, verses 5 to 8. The Lord spoke to me, that is Isaiah, saying, Because these people have rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh and rejoice in resin the son of Ramaliah, that is, because the Israelites don't trust me anymore, then, says the Lord, now behold, therefore, the Lord is about to bring on them the strong and abundant waters of the Euphrates, even the king of Assyria and all his glory, and it will rise up over all its channels and go over all its banks, and then it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass through. It will reach even up to the neck, and the spread of its wings, wings of water, will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. 
So here is the Philistine Ocean, which is swept into the valley of the Rephaim, the valley of the giants. Remember, the Rephaim were some of those 12-foot-tall type folks that existed when Israel first came into the land. And those waters are all around, and they might have engulfed us, and they might have swept over our lives and swept us away and drowned us if the Lord hadn't been on our side. The Lord who made heaven and earth, the Lord who initially pushed those waters back in Genesis 1 and pushed them back again in Genesis chapter 8 and keeps them pushed back because he's got four angels stationed at the four corners of the earth who hold the water back until he says, let it go, as we find in the book of Revelation. So if you ever go to the beach, you don't need to worry unless there's a hurricane. The water will not come up and devour you, although it looks like it would like to. And then there is a third comparison made in verse 6. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us to be torn by their teeth. Here we have a comparison to wild animals. There are two kinds of animals, three kinds of animals in the Old Testament. There are domestic, there are unclean animals which are just like the devil in the way they live. They crawl in the dirt and they eat dirt and they rise up and rebel against their proper masters. If you have a nice ox, the ox is a nice, peaceful, domestic animal, but if an ox rises up and gores a man, it becomes unclean and it has to be killed. And its flesh may not be eaten. All right? And so here again is a wild animal, and the pagan nations are always likened to the wild animals. Jesus says when he is on the cross in Psalm 69 that the wild bulls surrounded me. There's a painting in one of the churches in the Netherlands of Christ on the cross, and all around him are not people, but they're all these wild animals clawing up at the cross. That picture is very common in the Bible. Paul says that he had to fight wild beasts at Ephesus. They didn't throw him to the lions there. He's referring to that big riot that took place in Ephesus where the mob came out after him. And of course, the beast in the book of Revelation is the summary of all of this imagery in the Bible. And here again, the wild beasts have attacked the people of God, but God did not allow us to be torn by their teeth. And then finally, fourth, the fourth imagery is of the snare. Our soul, verse 7, our life has escaped as a bird out of the snare of the trapper. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. I'm not sure of all the details of how birds were trapped in the ancient world, but they would throw a net over the bird and the bird would be trapped unless someone cut the net and then the bird could fly away free. And here is a hint of the idea of resurrection in this verse. Because, you'll remember from Ray's lesson on leprosy in Leviticus 14, when the leper is received back into the people, there are two birds and one of them is dipped in the blood and then set free. And that's a token of resurrection. The idea that this man can go back into the community, that he can fly away free and is no longer in bondage, in prison. Every time you see someone go into prison in the Bible, it's as if they died. When they come out of prison, it's a resurrection. I won't take the time to prove all this, but any time people come into death or they get inside the belly of a big fish or they go down into the pit or they go down into a prison like Joseph did and then in the third year, Joseph comes out of the prison. These are all pictures of death and resurrection. And so here, too, is a hint of the bird being captured and held down and then suddenly being left free by someone else. The bird cannot get out of the net. The bird cannot escape from the fowler's snare. A fowler is one who catches fowl. Okay? Fowl means birds, kids. And so God has reached down and torn open the net and let the bird escape free. And here is a picture of resurrection. 
In spite of the fact that the enemy surrounded us on all sides, David said, and had us trapped up in the stronghold, yet the Lord broke through. He broke through the torrent that was around us, just like breaking through the net which would be around a bird. Remember that language. We read it. Let me find it again. It said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like the breakthrough of waters, as if God's waters were more powerful than theirs. And God has reached down and broken the net, and now we have escaped free from their attack. Four images here of the attack against God's people of the wicked. And even when it seems the worst, and even when it seems like they're going to swallow us alive, and even when it seems like they'll sweep us away, and even when it seems like they'll tear us up with their teeth, and even when it seems like they've got us trapped in a snare, God will break through and let us out. Because he is the one who made heaven and earth. He's all-powerful. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Maybe you'll remember that Sunday when we say it. That's the background of this phrase. Do you have any questions? Remember now, this psalm, like all the rest of them we're looking at, most likely was sung as the people walked toward Jerusalem. As they thought about Jerusalem, they thought about those times in the past when they'd been attacked. At that time, the nation may have been surrounded by Assyria on the north, or Egypt on the south, or Babylon on the north. Maybe there were all these big threats hanging over Israel, as there almost always were. But they can comfort themselves and remember that God had delivered them before and God would deliver them again. And if they had to come from a strange land, as they went through these strange lands and there were threats on all sides, they could remember that God was the one who would deliver them because he was the one who made heaven and earth. Unlike all the other gods of the nations, he didn't take something that was already there and try to work with it. He made it. Since he made it, he can do anything with it. And there's nothing that can happen to us unless he wants it to. Thank you again for enjoying this episode of the Theopolis Podcast. For more information and for more content from Theopolis, you can check us out online at theopolisinstitute.com. We release new articles every Tuesday and Thursday on our blog, so you'll want to make sure to look out for those. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore Theopolis and on Facebook if you just search for our name. If you've been helped, sharpened, and encouraged by this podcast, we'd really love it if you would go to iTunes and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds, and it really will help us along in getting our content in front of new listeners. That's all for now, friends. We really look forward to being with you all again in the next episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening.